Hey, y'all, it's Jesse. We are hard at work on a brand new holiday special for you airing next week. So, uh, hint, hint, don't forget to tune in. But in the meantime, we thought we would catch up with an old friend, Eliza Barbanel, to hear what's on her Hanukkah table. Have a listen. I'm Eliza Barbanel. I'm a writer and editor based in Brooklyn. And I do a lot of things well, but I think I'm the best at the game of Battleship. I've somehow never been defeated. I don't know what I did in a past life to deserve this, but this is a call for you to come and challenge me. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that talks to great chefs and home cooks about one question. What's their one? The classic recipe that feels like it's woven into the fabric of their family. This week, we're cooking with gas. Well, more like frying with oil with Eliza Barbanel. We all have those friends we think of as our cool friends. The ones who are always putting us onto new music or a condiment or a meme we haven't seen. Well, Eliza's one of mine. Her work spans genres, from writing about underappreciated music and stylish entertaining, to publishing a zine that urges us to reevaluate how we think and feel about cake. Despite her battleship bravado, she's actually painfully humble. We'll be getting into the details of her one recipe that you'll find on the Abarbanel family table every Hanukkah. But no spoilers, she'll tell you all about it. She's checking in from Brooklyn. Hey, Eliza, great to have you on the show. Jesse, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure, truly. So you just recently launched a new issue of Cake Zine, the independent magazine that you co-founded with pastry chef Tanya Bush. What was it about cake that made you really want to devote a whole magazine to it? It's a great question that honestly I've asked myself a lot. I think, um, you know, cake is something that's so important to everyone and is not like an essential ingredient in that like no one is going to exist off of cake and survive, but it is so essential to so many celebrations like around the world and so many different cultures and everybody has their own like favorite birthday cake. So I think we felt like it was a really rich food that we could go really deep on. So I guess like literally rich and then also metaphorically rich. Wow. Double entendre. We see you two for one action there. (laughs) Um, So outside of the cake world, though, you've also done a lot of interviewing and reporting across food and cooking, but then also in music and tech. And it goes on and on and on. (laughs) In short, you've talked to a lot of people about how they navigate their relationships to food. But how would you kind of describe your cooking style and like your relationship to it? Mm, That's a really good question that I've been also asking myself a lot because I recently (laughs) moved. So I have a new kitchen and I kind of like started from scratch. And so I've been kind of slowly thinking about like, what are the things that I use the most that I want to add back in? Because as you probably remember from living in New York, like the counter space is very minimal. So I think that in general, my approach is things that I can make in like my Dutch oven or in a cast iron. I'm from LA and I'm very much an LA stereotype in that I think about vegetables first. So I think It's like seasonal cooking that often is really comforting and cozy. So a lot of soups and broths right now. I just had beans for lunch today. Okay, so a little bit of background. We actually met in like a journalism class, just chatting, talking about work. But you were actually one of the first people that actually got me into food and food writing. So can you tell me a little bit about what got you into taking food writing more seriously? 
Yeah, I like cannot really take credit for you taking over food media, but I would love to take partial credit. Okay, takeover is not the case at all. (laughs) Well, you know, I think for me, I, as I said, grew up in LA and had like the privilege of being a reader of Jonathan Gold's writing when I was in high school and like starting to get interested in journalism myself. And if anyone listening isn't familiar with his work, I highly recommend Googling him. There's a great documentary about him called City of Gold, but he actually was a music writer before he did food writing as well. So that's my path. And he just wrote so beautifully about food and specifically these like immigrant owned strip mall style restaurants in LA, which anyone from LA who goes to LA would tell you that some of the best food can be found in strip malls. And the way that he wrote about it would just compel so many Angelinos, including my family, to get in the car and drive to wherever he was and eat that food. And I think um, learning that like food had so much intersections with other parts of culture and also that it was like such an access point that you could write about something and people could just go and experience it if they lived close by was one of the things that kind of first drew me in. So then kind of transitioning to where you're at now, who are some of the other writers and food people or food adjacent even people that you find a lot of inspiration in? Well, I've told this to Bettina Makalin Tall before, who I know has been a guest on this show. But whenever I see a story that I wish I had written, like 90% of the time she's written it, I think that she's just on the like sort of internet culture and its connection to real life in a really cool way, which is um, as someone that spends a lot of time online, like a lot of us do, like I always think her stories are great. Um, And Alicia Kennedy in her newsletter as well. I really like how she writes about sustainability and other kinds of um, kind of political issues and the way that it intersects with food. So I think those are two of my like always must open. Also Hunter Harris and her newsletter is like the funniest, best thing. Ugh, Eliza, they're all such great writers. But enough about other people. I got to hear about you. What's your one recipe? Well, this time of year, I'm thinking about the holidays coming up and Hanukkah specifically, which is one of my favorite holidays. And so it has to be a latke recipe. And it's the latke recipe my family has been cooking, um, I believe, like since my parents got together and someone gave them a copy of Joan Nathan's Jewish Holiday Cooking, which is like a very iconic cookbook that was, I believe, first published in the 70s. Um, And it's just like the only latke recipe that you'll ever need. And also the one that I'm going to spend my entire life trying to perfect. So I had to talk about that one today, I think. So Do you know the full story of how your parents actually started making it and incorporating it into their lives? So I I called my dad to ask this because he's the latke champion in my family home. And he's not sure if it was given as a uh, wedding present or if it was given to them like around the time they started living together. But the way that he put it, which I think is a nice way, is that like if you want to build a Jewish home, like Joan Nathan's cookbooks are kind of one of the foundations for that in terms of like having recipes for every occasion. And so I think like when my dad started making latkes for my family, it was this recipe that he was doing. And we can get into it, but I think like the one of the things that makes it so good is that it's a very like basic recipe, but the quality of vodka that you get from it is just super high and delicious and and crispy and everything you want it to be. Okay, well, now that I'm tearing up a little bit, (laughs) can you take me through the steps of the recipe so I don't cry on the microphone? (laughs) I mean, you could cry for a little seasoning. (laughs) Gotta get that salt in somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a salty holiday. (laughs) Um, So I guess most people have had a latke before, but 
Obviously, it's like a grated potato pancake that's fried in oil um, because Hanukkah is a celebration of things being fried in oil. And there are a lot of like different latke recipes out there today. There are some that use like sweet potatoes, some that use food processors. And I normally try to be like very inclusive and, and you know, I, I think do whatever you want. But I do think that there's a standard for latkes in that they need to be grated by hand. Like it's going to suck, to be honest. Like you're going to be crying from grating the onions and your knuckles will be like a little bit bloody. It, it's really like not a fun part of the process. But as my dad says, Hanukkah is a warrior's holiday. Um, and I do think that like the texture that you get, this is one of the things of the recipe that I like about it is you grate the onions and the potatoes on different sides of the box grater. So you have like a couple different textures of grated potato and onion to be working with. And then from there, you're basically putting them into like a cheesecloth and squeezing out as much liquid as possible over a bowl so that all of the starch from the potatoes collects in the bottom. And then you're going to use that like starchy sediment with a little bit of eggs and flour for binding to make your batter. And then from there, you're just frying. Um which I have a lot of thoughts on the right way to fry. I don't know if like you want me to go into that. <laughs> First, I just have to say, it's amazing that you started out this description as if it was a scene in like John Wick 5. Yeah. <laughs> or like a scene in some war movie, like your knuckles are going to be bloody. You're you're grating the potatoes and onions. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> that's like, it's an amazing not start. That's an amazing start. It, yeah, you have to be and that's <laughs> great way like, to sell the recipe. That's what it is. And I think a lot of like the thing about latke recipes is people try to like fry them ahead of time and then reheat them or people try to use food processors, like all these modern shortcuts. And I'm down with all of those things, but I do think that like what a latka should be is it should be piping hot and you need to eat it like basically as soon as it's been made. It needs to have those different textures. And it is just part of the process. It's like, I think it tastes better because all that like sweat and work went into it. And most people aren't making latkes at home except for on Hanukkah. So it's like, I think worth it in that moment to like commit to the full experience and know that, that it's going to be rough for a little bit. Tell us about the actual frying. Like what are your specific interventions? What things do you do by the book? What kind of oil? Break it down for me. I feel like most people just use vegetable oil because it has a good high fry point. So that's what I've always done. I think coconut oil could be cool. Like if I wanted to mess with it a little bit, I would try that. But the real thing about frying them is it's kind of like the first pancake, you know, that the first one is maybe not as good because you're waiting for the oil to get up to temperature. And then once it's going in the recipe, it says to cook them like once on each side until golden brown. But what I do, which is something I learned from my dad is to take it most of the way on one side, do the same on the other side, but flip them over so that you get some additional browning. And I think that helps with having a more like even consistency and tone because those pieces on the end uh, want to burn and go a little bit faster than in the middle. So that's the alternation. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is like a lot of recipes will say that you can hold them in an oven if you want to have like a critical mass to give out to people or you could use um, a heat lamp. And I think that's true, but I've personally like never been in the situation where I've been able to like amass enough latkes. I think that like people come in and you wait until people arrive, then you start frying and then you basically are just frying for the next two hours until you run out of latka. Like people are just going to be eating them while they're hot. And it's kind of like when you see the Krispy Kreme donut sign that's on, like you want to get them right away. 
when you're frying these at home, is it like a full family affair? Is it like only your dad and everyone else is like kicked out of the kitchen temporarily? Like, what does that look like? I mean, I feel like everyone is always in the kitchen. Like, that's how every party goes, you know, that people want to snoop and see what's yeah. happening. I think that growing up definitely would have like the, the big family latka party on like probably the first or the last night of Hanukkah. And then maybe a couple of times during the week, we would eat them as well, just because it's the time of year that you are going to be doing that. And I think like as an adult, when I've done them for my friends, it's been a similar thing of everyone wanting to be in the kitchen to see what's going on and um, to be adding the toppings and all of that. So that's also what I mean about like, I've never been able to have people in the other room all sitting down together and waiting. It's always been like, a you come in, you smell the oil, you know, they're happening. And then you're kind of elbowing out of the way, like trying to get the next one that comes off the pan. So then what are the toppings or any any dippings that you may be serving it with? Yeah. Well, you know, Joan suggests the classics, which are sour cream and applesauce, which I love and always, always have to have them out together. Ideally, I, I like to do like a thin layer of sour cream so that it melts a little bit and then put the applesauce on top. That's classic. But I do often add like Valentina hot sauce as well because it's a vinegar-based hot sauce. So it adds a little bit of that acidity that I think like a good sour cream or applesauce should often have, which, you know, there's a lot of oil and, and potato going on. Like you kind of need something to cut through it. And then if I want to like fall out a little bit, or if I have a friend coming that wants to do that, you can add some caviar on top and make it a little fancy. Well, Eliza, this has been so much fun. I got to cut it before you spend all my money, but <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Eliza Barbanel is a culture writer and the co-founder of Cake Scene. You can find the recipe for Joan Nathan's classic latkes on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>